Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. I was reading about a university uh, athlete in the United States called Cameron Lyle. And uh, Cameron Lyle registered himself as an uh, organ donor and a bone marrow donor. You know, they come around to the school and they ask you, so he registered thinking, well, you know, one day when I die, they, you know, if I'm killed in an accident, they can have my bone marrow, they can have my organs. Little did he realize that just a month before he was about to compete for medals in the track and field championships, he would be called upon to give his bone marrow. So the 21-year-old in peak condition, he's a shot put uh, uh, thrower, he's in peak condition, he's about to go into these, uh, into these finals, and he goes into surgery uh, to help an unknown 28-year-old who was suffering from leukemia. He gave up his chances of winning medals so that this person could get life. You know, that's true generosity. True generosity. Then I was reading about this little girl. She's just nine years old. Her name is Molly McGinley. And... Uh, she was watching charity workers in the city of, uh, of Liverpool, uh, Manchester, sorry, in the city of Manchester, giving out uh, food and clothing to, to poor people. And so she said to her mother, you know what? On my birthday, I'm not gonna spend my money and all the gifts that have been given to me on myself. I'm gonna go out into the city of Manchester and I'm gonna give things to the poor instead of spending that money on myself. I mean, you know, that's amazing, amazing generosity for a nine-year-old. You know, giving is one thing, but generosity is quite another. We can be givers without being generous. And so I wanna to speak to you today because I believe it's extremely important for us as Christians to embrace this. I wanna speak on cultivating generosity. It has to be cultivated in your life. It doesn't happen automatically. And the definition of generosity is simply this, it is exceeding what is required. It's the opposite of stinginess, tight-fistedness, mean-spiritedness. It's not looking to do the minimum, it's looking to do the maximum. And it's not something you're born with, it's something that you cultivate. It's interesting that the Latin root of the English word generous means this, of noble birth. That means people who are generous live at a different level they don't live down here surviving and grabbing. They live in a, like a nobility, generously dispensing on God's behalf. Pretty amazing thing. And so I want to look at eight things this morning that concern generosity. Before I do, Mignon McLachlan, who's an author, said this. He said, we would all like a reputation for generosity, and we'd all like to buy a cheap. Isn't that the truth? Couple of giggles, number one. Eight things here. What we need to understand if we're gonna cultivate generosity, it's the nature of God. You wanna be like God, don't just be righteous, be generous. Jared Brock wrote a book called A Year of Living Prayerfully, and he said this, he said, rest in the knowledge that God is both abundantly gracious and ridiculously generous. That's a good description, eh? In fact, Psalm 51, just of many verses, says this in the New King James, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous 
spirit. God is a generous God. And Craig Rochelle in his book, Weird, strange title for a book, because normal isn't working, he says this, he says the Bible consistently and directly indicates that when we give generously, we're serving, honoring, and glorifying God. After all, generosity is fundamental to God's nature. See, when Jesus came to you, there's the first miracle he did was one of generosity. Turned the water into wine. And didn't just do a little bit. You can each have a tot. No. I know a lot of Christians struggle with this. It came to 600 liters. Generosity. You see, drunkenness is your responsibility. Generosity is God's. The loaves and the fishes. He fed 5,000, but he didn't just feed such a multitude. There were 12 baskets full left over. It's a wonderful thing when we look at what Jesus did, the catch of fish in Luke 5, when he told the disciples to cast their nets on the other side. The Bible says they had to get other boats to help them. Generosity. He didn't say, here's one big fish, at least you got supper. And then he teaches Peter, come follow me, because he doesn't just want to fill our nets, he wants us to fill others' nets. And Peter fails on the beach, uh, fails, sorry, and, and denies Jesus, and then on the beach, Jesus comes to him and doesn't hold it against him. And there they're fishing again. And the Bible says he told them where to cast their net. And there was 153 large fish. So God is generous, and even when you fail, he's generous again. Amen. Isn't that what Jesus said in the parable of the prodigal son? He squandered everything, and then he got generosity. And we need to understand the generosity of God. You see, David in the Old Testament was a type of Jesus. And David blessed a man called Mephibosheth, who was the son of Saul, who was crippled in his feet and didn't deserve anything. He put him at his table. Not only put him at his table, he made all the servants serve him, and he gave him all his land and all the produce of the land. That's the generosity of God. We are crippled. We don't deserve anything, but we get a seat at the table. We need to copy that. We need to copy that. Notice here, it talks about our salvation. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 14. And our Lord poured out his abundant grace on me and gave me the faith and love which are ours in union with Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, Paul reiterates this. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. That's the precious blood. And it says, and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us. Do you know, if it's the nature of God, we are most like God when we are generous. Number two, the second thing, if we're going to cultivate generosity, it's a spirit, not an amount. See, it's an attitude, not what you have. If you don't have a generous spirit, you won't even give a little, let alone give a lot. The widow that we talk about in the Bible who gave her last two mites was generous. She didn't say, well, I've got nothing. I might as well give it. What's the point? No, she had a generous spirit, even though she gave two mites. And we need to cultivate this spirit because it's not an amount. Can I say it's very important that we understand the difference between generosity and charity. Some people are charitable, but there's a big difference between the two. And I want you as a Christian not to fall into the charity thing. I remember this every time I fly on an airplane because they give you those envelopes. If you've got some spare change, just put it in there. I do it, but that's not the way I live. I live generously. 
I don't just want to give you my spare change in charity. I want to do something more because it's a spirit. Now notice here, definition of generosity, watch this, liberality in giving or willingness to give. Can you see that's a spirit? It's an attitude, not an amount, but watch. Charity, the definition of charity, something given to help the needy. The one's an attitude, the other's an action. Let's not be charitable in our church. Let's be generous. In fact, let's be generous in every area. Generous in your marriage. What is, just, just pause. What does that mean? I'm not talking about cups of coffee, people. I'm talking about night time. Albert Camus, the French philosopher, he, he remarked, he, he, made this, he made this interesting remark. He said, too, too many have dispensed with generosity in order to practice charity. You know, those people are giving something, but they haven't got the spirit. Now, what does the spirit of generosity really look like? Well, I was reading this uh, story about this professor from Houston in Texas, an uh, Indian man called Uptal Dalakia, and he went on a field trip, a sort of culture trip, uh, in India, and, and they visited a village uh, in central India that was extremely poor. And I want to read to you what he said, because this describes the spirit of generosity. He said, after the village leader had welcomed us, I was walking around the village with a, when a beaming old woman loudly beckoned me. She was at least 70, grizzled and lean, with the build and posture of someone who had labored in the fields all her life. Her hut was very basic, essentially a one-room shack made of mud and cow dung with a thatched roof. When I peeked inside it, it had little more than a car pie, which is a little uh, a woven bed, and a few pots and pans in a corner and a little bit of food stuff. And a smoky fire was burning in the middle of the room. Everything the woman possessed could easily have been stacked on that bed with plenty of room to spare. Despite her meager house and her few possessions, her face lit up with the most brilliant and welcoming smile. Because I could not understand her language, she gestured to me to sit on the car pie on the bed. She offered me a steaming glass of tea and a plate of food. After I finished it, she offered me more and would not take no for an answer. I was floored, he said. It's a professor from a university. Here was a woman who had barely enough to eat and little else besides, yet she was offering me a perfect stranger a large fraction of what she possessed. On a relative scale, this is greater generosity than I've encountered before or since. What is more, offering was made unreservedly and with a completely good nature with no expectation of receiving anything in return. This old woman is not an anomaly. It turns out that people who have less give more. Why do those who have less give more? Part of the reason lies in the fact that they are more compassionate and more sensitive to the need of others. On the other hand, those who have more tend to be self-centered with solipsistic tendencies. That means we just focus on what's in our own minds that are concentrated on their own internal goals, motivations, and emotions. Maybe it's time for us not just to focus on our own needs, but to think of how we can feed the gospel to other communities all across South Africa. We do it with the Rivers Foundation, but campuses bring the spiritual food. Number three, the third thing we need to remember in cultivating generosity, it's a decision that comes from love. Why do I say it's a decision? Some people think you're gifted to be generous. No, no, it's a decision. 
And stinginess is defined as a fear of lack. And you can grow up with a fear of lack. Some of us have had stinginess handed to us from our parents. And it's something that needs to be broken and you need to make a decision to be generous. Suze Orman, the financial author, she said true generosity is an offering given freely and out of pure love. No strings attached, no expectations. Isn't that what Jesus did? He didn't, he didn't, uh, he, he, he didn't just give, he gave out of love. And it's a decision we have to make. And the Bible reminds us that you can give. How many of you know you can give? Let me read it. You can't give without loving. But you can love without giving. Sorry. You can give without loving. Let me read it again. You can give without loving. It's early in the morning. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. 1 Corinthians 13 puts it like this. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, it's not generosity. A generous person doesn't do it out of duty. Now, if it's a decision, you say, well, some people are gifted. No, they're not. Paul tells us that all of us need to be generous. And we need to embrace it by making a decision. 2 Corinthians 8, he says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, that's the key, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See, you've, you've, you've got to make a decision. I've got to grow in that area. I can't just know a lot about the Bible. I've got to have a spirit of love, and I've got to make a decision. Are you with me? And, uh, and for some of us, it's very hard. So here's some advice from a book called The Paradox of Generosity. They studied the science of generosity. Very interesting book by two authors here. And, and, and they said this. They said one of the best ways of starting to become a truly generous person, if one really wants to, is to simply, sorry, is simply to start behaving like a generous person. Right attitudes often do follow right actions. New beliefs and insights are frequently provoked by new behaviors and instigations of habits. Like many things in life, we usually learn best by doing. We perfect activities and attitudes by practicing them. We need to make a decision. We're going to do it. Number four, it's becoming quieter. It's a planned, intentional lifestyle. Don't be a person who be, who's generous and at odd moments. And then you say this, I don't know what came over me. We don't want people to do that today because you'll go home with regret. We never twist your arm in a meeting by playing the organ and by rousing you up and come on, today's the day. And then you go home and you're like, what? No, it needs to be a planned. I planned this. I committed to it. I've got no regrets. Now I'm trusting God. Planned, intentional. Listen lifestyle we don't want anyone thinking that they lost it for a moment then there's regret you've got to plan it I, I, I tried, I'm trying to plan my generosity a bit more I don't want to get to, to, to the car guard and then say oh sorry eh so now I don't, how many of you don't carry money on you most of us don't anymore we don't even need it for the car park we've got that, that thing that takes you in and out you don't have to pay the debit or credit card but you know what? I don't want to get to the car guard and feel like you're someone who's trying to work. Sorry, eh? All I'm giving you is good intentions. No, now I plan. When I go into Woolies, I've got to get... Sometimes I go shopping. I quite enjoy it. It's a break. 
buy cheese, buy abos, buy all the stuff I like, and then hide it away. No. <laughs> she knows where my hiding places are. And, but you know what I do? I don't just look at the list. Oval asked me to buy cheese. Oh, yeah, we need, I want to buy a new homeowner magazine. Oh, I want to buy this. No, I, I, I plan a, a pie for the car guard. So when I come out, I don't have cash, but I'm going to give you a pie, give you a Coke. A pl plan generosity. There's a guy on the corner of our street in, in, in bowling where we drive past all the time, and he knows me well, and he knows I'm a pastor. And so if I'm going shopping, I try and remember, I drove past him. Then I lean out the window. I'm coming back. Then he waits for me. And I come back with something for him to eat because I don't want to give him money because I can see his eyes are starting to get yellow. Now I know what's going on there. And you can't just say no. Because guess what? When you start saying no, this closes up. You have to plan. You read about some of God's greats. You want to know why they were so great? People like John Wesley. During his lifetime, he gave away, as they say, 30,000 pounds. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but in 1731, that was a lot of money. And they translated that into dollars. I can't translate into land, rand because it's too much. But it's $1.764 million. You ought to multiply that by 15, you get an idea of what he gave away in his lifetime. But you know what he did? He made a planned giving covenant with God when he started working way back in 1731. He made a generosity covenant and he gave away two pounds of the 30 he earned that year. His expenses were 28 pounds, but he had two pounds left. The following year, his income doubled. So instead of raising his standard of living, he raised his standard of giving. And they say when he died eventually, he died with a few coins in his pocket, but the storehouse of heaven was full. And so we have to plan. We had a couple in the church next door when I took over this building, and this church, well, not this building, the little building next door, next door, next door, um, when there were just 70 people, a couple called Andy and Burble Benzon. Some of you would remember them. They were very kind people. They had a planned life of generosity. I had no clue who they were, but when, they, when I came to the church, they started supporting us. In, in, in a big way. We wanted to renovate the church building and everyone was like, what's wrong with this church? And the carpets were threadbare. Uh, anyway, place was a mess. Pews had holes in them and, and they prided themselves when visitors sat there and the, they fell through the pew. Everyone would giggle. I mean, what kind of church? Anyway, they, they, I, I got to know them when suddenly in the church account, there was money from them. And I was like, wow, not only that. No, they, 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 when my assistant was, was knocked off his bicycle, that's all he could afford. He could only afford a bicycle and he got knocked off the bicycle twice. They bought a city golf and brought it to the church. No strings attached, no favors, no expectation. The one here, we couldn't go on holiday and he was chatting to me, he said to me, you're going on holiday? I said, I'm not sure, we, you know, and yeah, he said, oh, well, you need to plan. And I'm like, yeah, well, if the church takes, a, those days they used to take a collection for you and you never knew if someone remembered or not. So in December, you couldn't start hinting you just waited for the Lord to move. Thank God it's different today. Anyway, they came and they said, we want to send you away. I'll never forget it. They sent us to Nelspray to the Pink Tipicino. I don't even think it exists anymore. It was a five-star lodge. Paid for everything, and we went away there. And they paid for the fence that went right around the church. 
The church didn't have a fence. They paid for that. And guess what? They built a wing onto their house out of face brick that was separate from the house. And any guest speaker to the church at the time could stay there for free. They planned that. Planned generosity. Those people were an encouragement to us. They finally relocated down to Durban and they lived down at the coast, I think in Margate somewhere. But wonderful, wonderful people. Isaiah 32 says this, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. They don't just do a once-off. They plan. And people like that can make a massive difference. Plan generosity at Rivers has made a difference to this church. Let me give an example of that. There's an 81-year-old man, an Australian named James Harrison. Do you know that he has donated blood? They say he has donated blood nearly every week for 60 years. And they totaled up the amount of people the, the amount of babies that he has saved. They say it's 2.4 million babies in Australia that his blood has saved. They've given him the highest award, the Medal of Australia. They've given him the highest award because he's got a unique blood type and they use that blood in pregnant women to defeat something called rhesus disease where, the, where women's own cells start attacking the baby. His planned generosity has saved millions of lives. And you know, our planned generosity can save millions of life, plan to be generous. Number five, it opens doors of destiny. Proverbs 22 and verse nine says, be generous and share your food with the poor. You will be blessed for it. You'd be amazed what, you can, what your generosity will do. When you, when you put God's work first, God will open doors for you. Do you remember the story of Abraham sending his servant out to find a wife for his son Isaac? And the man went out and he took 10 camels with him, laden with gifts. You say, hey, he went and bought a woman. No, no, no. No, he went to bless because Abraham was generous. And when he gets to the well, he says, you know, Lord, if, if she will offer me water and also water my camels, then I'll know, let her be the one. You say, why? Well, you see, what he was saying is this, is if I get to the well and she's stingy, such a woman wouldn't fit in with our family. I tell you, there's nothing worse than a stingy people marrying a, marrying a generous person. In that house, there's conflict. You might just look straight forward. Today, it might have been, no, we're not giving it. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. I'm giving it. I don't care what you do. Well, I'm not letting you have it. <laughs> Abraham's servant had to make sure that she would be a good fit. And the Bible says that she did. She offered him water for his camels. And there were 10. And they say a camel can drink 100 liters in 15 minutes. That's 1,000 liters she poured out of that well for those camels to drink. It wasn't just a trough. She had to get it from the well and pour it out. He said, she'll make a good fit. And you know, there's this prophetic picture in that. The Father, God the Father, has sent his son Jesus to find a bride and he's looking for those who are not tight-fisted but are generous. Because they'll make a good fit in his family. Can you say amen? amen? Number six, it involves relationships, not only substance. See, when you give, don't, don't, don't ever give money at church and in offerings that, and see it as going into like an account or a pot. I'm just, it's just going in somewhere. No, see, it's going to people. Every time you see hands raised, people sitting in seats, children in children's church, your offering's touching people. That's why the Lord tells us here 
Because it's not an impersonal thing you're doing. He tells us here in Matthew chapter five, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Because it's more than your money. It's a heart of having people in mind. And can I remind you, generosity is not just putting money in an offering or giving a pie to a poor person. It's giving a smile. Try and be generous in a stingy South Africa. Smile at people. When you let someone in the traffic, not hurry up you, what you're waiting for. I've got to check myself because I like to go fast. And if, and if I give you a gap, take it, baby. <laughs> I have to learn to smile. Do you know where I've tried? Do you know what? The danger is you can be nice in church and ugly outside. So what I'm trying to practice is when I, when I drive to the entrance of our, we, we live in like an estate, all the houses. When I drive to the gate, smile at the guards. Greet them all the time. If I know their name, hi, Brian. Hi, Lennox. And then occasionally buy them a big bag of popcorn and a two liter Coke and drop it at the gate. You cheer them up because it's more than putting an offering in. It's, it's a spirit. Number seven, it's a catalyst. Generosity is a catalyst. Do you know what a catalyst is? It's a substance that triggers something. When you put a catalyst into resin, it hardens it. And when you be catalyst, when you do something, others follow. We don't have time to read, but in 1 Chronicles 29, David gave a massive offering. And the Bible says when the people saw it, they too gave generously. David was a catalyst. I want you to be a catalyst today. You might, you know, you might not have planned to give, but I'll tell you, seeing people come down the aisle giving, you, yeah, of course, I, let me find something. It's a catalyst. Is that true? It's like when people worship. You can easy, I, I, I know this. I've just come back from a conference in America where I attended. It's easy to walk in the back and stand at the back with your phone while the worship's on. Just want to send this mail. Just want to see if they like my Instagram. No, no, no. And then guess what? The three people next to you are worshiping. You feel blind eventually. Put your phone away. It's like they're a catalyst. We stir each other. Isn't that true? George uh, Truett was a great man of God. He's got a tremendous ministry, well known in, in the States and amongst pastors and leaders. He was sent to a church. They asked him to come. They wanted him to raise money for their church. So he got up and he preached and then he raised money for their church building. This is way back, beginning of the 20th century. And uh, the congregation pledged uh, quite a lot of money, but they still needed in those days $6,500, about 97,000 rand, so a lot of money. Bear in mind, in houses in South Africa at that time were like 2,000 rand. So they had to build this church, they needed a lot of money. And uh, he got a bit annoyed with them. He said, do you expect me to give the other $3,500 needed to reach your goal? I'm just a guest here today. Because they didn't, they were all like. A lady at the back stood up and she said, uh, her husband was on the stage, he was recording pledges and gifts. And she said, darling, don't you think we could give our house? Someone offered us 3,500 for it. And I'm sure if we sold it, we could make up the difference. And he said, yes, darling. Let's be, let's be generous. Let's, let's, uh, let's do that for God. Why not? And then she sat down and he sat down and he said, the place went silent. Then people began to sob. They started to sob. Let me read it to you. They began to sob. 
He said, then those who 15 minutes earlier had refused to give, now either added their names to the list or increased their donations. In a short time, the goal was achieved and Charlie and Jenny didn't have to sell their home. Their willingness to sacrifice had stimulated others to similar generosity. I want to be a catalyst. Do you? Number eight, and we'll close with this. It brings joy to us and others. It brings joy to us and others. Do you know there's no greater joy than in giving? And not only do you get joy, God rewards you. But the joy that comes from giving is so worth it when you're generous. And the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians, I must read this. Paul writing to the church, he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. In other words, it's not easy for them to give. And they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Isn't it amazing that those who have so much are so miserable? And those who have so little are so happy? See, joy comes when you give. And it's, it's, they've, they've researched this scientifically, that the more you give, the happier you are. And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But here's the thing, not only do you receive joy, you receive rewards. And I want to remind you, I love this because this verse speaks in a twofold way. Proverbs 11, verse 25, and you've all, all heard this. A generous person will what? Prosper. Not just in money, in the spirit. In your spirit. Watch. Whoever refreshes others will be? See, it's talking about more than getting money in your hand. It's talking about a whole life that's blessed. And I think we need to be generous people because you'll be happier and you'll be blessed. But it's not easy. It's a tough thing to do. But today we can begin to practice it. Some have had a tough year, and I want to close with this. Wayne Dyer said this. He said, if you are not generous when it's difficult, you will not be generous when it's easy. Generosity is a function of the heart, not the wallet. Church, let's cultivate generosity. Let's be people who uh, live for others and live for the betterment of the kingdom, and let's be people who pour out and then enjoy the joy and the rewards that come from generosity. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.